0: How you guys doing this morning? I um, said at the eight thirty that it's been three months um, since I've preached in the last, and in the last six years, that's the longest kind of span of time that I've gone without preaching. So I had to shake off some cobwebs at the eight thirty. Um, but as I got up, I mean, it was a disaster. My, my mic fell out, my mic pack fell out, the, the wire fell out of the mic pack. I was trying to put it back together as Christine was introducing me. and Then I backed up and there was a microphone here and I knocked the microphone over. And so hopefully the cobwebs are, are shaken off now and, and I could bring a nice clear message to you uh, that you could engage in and so... Let's do that, okay? Let's, let's hope that we have no more technical difficulties and I'm able, able to clearly present the gospel to you. So last week, Alan preached um, out of Daniel 4, uh, and we're gonna continue in our Daniel series entitled Brave. Um, Alan talked about the healing of pride last week, talking about King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, King ne- Nebuchadnezzar uh, got to the point where he was so prideful that God put him out in the, in the pasture, basically, and he was eating grass like a cow. Uh, but he eventually came to his senses and started worshiping um, what the Bible calls the king of heaven, the, the God of Israel. And this week, we're gonna continue in the story and continue in our Brave series looking at chapter five. But I wanna say this, that now the king has changed. We're no longer looking at King Nebuchadnezzar. We're now looking at King Belshazzar. And historians say that somewhere between chapter four and chapter five, about 20 or 30 years uh, have taken place. King Nebuchadnezzar ruled for uh, 43 years, and it just, it just goes on to King Belshazzar. He, he died, and, and the kingdom carried on. Belshazzar is a young and arrogant king. Um, he he had absolutely no regard for the people of Israel or for Israel's God. He didn't even know who Daniel was. At this time, Daniel was basically living in isolation for 30 years. Daniel now is about 80 years old. And so that is kind of the scene that I'm setting up uh, to, to catch us up in the story. And we're gonna dive in now into Daniel chapter five. I'm actually gonna start with the last verse in Daniel four, which is Daniel four thirty seven, and then read from uh, five verse one through verse four just to kick us off. I read out of a version called the CSB. Um, I'd imagine most of you don't have that version. That's the version I, I like to read out of. Alan and the other guys usually read out of the ESV. So if you don't have the CSB, the words will be on the screen. You guys ready? Should we dive into the word of God? Let's do it. Daniel 4, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of the heavens because all his works are true and his ways are just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. 20 to 30 years now go by. King Belshazzar held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine in their presence. Under the influence of the wine, Belshazzar gave orders to bring in the gold and silver vessels that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, wives and concubines, could drink from them. So they brought in the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, wives and concubines drank from them. They drank the wine and praised their gods made of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. What we see here is a lot has changed in 20 to 30 years, haven't, haven't hasn't it? I mean, the reason that I wanted to start with verse 37 is because we see King Nebuchadnezzar praising and exalting God, and now we see King Belshazzar actually mocking God. What he's doing here is very intentional. He's doing it to intentionally mock the God of Israel. And what we see all throughout scripture is that we oftentimes see one generation worshiping God, and then the next generation worshiping idols. And not only do we see that in scripture, but we see it in our lives as well. We'll see one generation, like we were talking about about the Ablaze Conference, how there was this one generation of revival and then the next generation worshiping idols. And this is what we see in this story as well. King Nebuchadnezzar ends chapter four, praising, exalting God. And now chapter five begins with King Belshazzar mocking the king of heaven's the one who his predecessor praised, And what happens here is God sees the sin. God sees the sin and the mockery of King Belshazzar. And the first thing I wanna point out today to us is number one, that God sees our sin. God sees our sin. And now you're probably sitting here today just saying, Well, Kevin, of course God sees our sin, that's obvious. Well, let me unpack it a little bit for us and help us understand this a little bit better. God sees Belshazzar's sin, Belshazzar gave orders to to those uh, that were under him to bring in the silver and the gold vessels from the temple of Jerusalem that they had uh, overtaken. And so they bring in these gold and silver vessels and they pour wine into them and they start partying with the sacred vessels of God. These things are holy to God, but instead they're defiling these vessels. And this isn't just some like, wine party with the fellas, right? I mean, do guys have wine parties? They do? No, no. This isn't some craft beer bottle share with the fellas. No, this is an absolute defiling and debauched kind of party. It's a foolishness. There's blasphemy. There's mockery. And there's sexual immorality going on at this party. King Belshazzar is intentionally mocking God, saying, no, I am superior to God. He can do nothing to me. But this was also a night of idolatry as well. They took these vessels, they filled them with wine, and they were cheersing, basically, to the their gods. That's what it says in this passage. The gods that were made of gold and silver and bronze, iron, wood, and stone. They were basically worshiping inanimate gods, gods that were sitting on the shelf that couldn't see, hear, or speak. But the God of Israel, the king of the heavens, our God sees sin and mockery. These gods that were displayed on a shelf or on the ground, they couldn't see or hear or listen, but our God does. He sees our sin. He hears the words that come out of our mouth. He knows what's in our hearts. Now, like I said, when I said, God sees our sin, you're probably like, yeah, of course he sees our sin. That's an obvious statement, Kevin. But I wanna say this, that all of us are guilty at times. We're guilty at times as we live in sin as if God doesn't see it. We continue to sin as if God doesn't see it. And when we live those type of lives, we're mocking God. We live as if God doesn't see our sin. We live as if God doesn't see the way we treat our spouse or kids. We live as if God doesn't see the way we treat our neighbors that we're called to love. We live as if God doesn't see the way we treat our boss or we live as if God doesn't see the way we yelled at the person on the 57 freeway. We live as if God doesn't hear the words that come out of our mouth. You know, those things like gossip and slander. We live as if God doesn't hear the cussing or the blasphemy that comes out of our mouth. We live as if God doesn't hear those little white lies. When we do that, we mock God. We live as if God doesn't see what we look at on the internet or we live as if God doesn't see what we watch on Netflix. We live as if God doesn't know what we really think about those people on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. We live as if God doesn't know our political idolatry, that we put our hope in a political ideology, that we put our hope in a political party, or that we put our hope in a person to save us. See, we live as if God doesn't see our pursuit of money for taking precedence over our pursuit of Jesus. We live as if God doesn't see that we'd rather be comfortable than sacrificially living for the sake of God. And when we live like that, we're mocking God. We live as if God doesn't see what we do with the majority of our free time or where we spend our money or where we find joy. We live as if God doesn't know what's on our hearts and minds. He does. He's the spirit of the living God living within you. See, we live as if God doesn't see our sin. And when we live like that, we're no different than Belshazzar. See, we are Belshazzar. We are Belshazzar. Now I know this is a tough message, so bear with me. There is good news in this message. We're gonna talk about repentance. We're gonna talk about the loving kindness of God that leads us to repentance. But you have to hear the the hard truth before you hear the good news. See, when we live as if God doesn't see our sin, we live without a fear of God. And when Belshazzar was intentionally mocking God, he did not fear God. He felt that he was superior to God. He had no fear of him. And when we live as if God doesn't see our sin, we live as if we don't fear him, as if there are no consequences for our sin. But sin must be dealt with. And the Bible says that God will not be mocked but the beauty of the gospel. Ready? Here we come. The beauty of the gospel is this, is that God provides a way for us. He provides a way for us to recognize our sin and he confronts us through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit confronts us when we're in our sin. He deals with our sin through the person of Jesus Christ. And then he liberates us from the bondage of sin through grace and repentance. There's good news, there's good news, but we have to talk about the bad first. God through his patient and loving kindness towards us gives us this incredible, incredible gift of repentance. My friends, listen to me today. Repentance is a gift, it is a gift. It's God loving us through his judgment that he gives us the gift of repentance. This is what Romans 2, 4 says. Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? God's kindness is intended to lead you to this place of repentance so you can be free, my friends, so you can be liberated. And now maybe some of you are sitting here today but and you're asking the question, but, but what is repentance? Well, repentance is just this. It's simply turning our back on sin and turning our face to Jesus Christ. It's walking away from our sin and saying, oh Lord, only you by the power of your spirit can help me find freedom in this sin. It's turning our face to heaven and to Jesus Christ saying, oh Lord, help me. Oh Lord, help me. Help me find freedom. See, repentance isn't for us when we just believe when we come to this place of faith, repent and believe. No, repentance is part of our daily ongoing life as Christians, as we are becoming more and more sanctified, becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. It's not a, just a one and done, I repent and believe. No, I repent every day. I turn my back on those things that have held me in bondage, have, have kept me chained. I turn my back on that and I turn my faith afresh to Jesus Christ. It's daily repentance. It's ongoing in our life. For the sake of our sanctification. See, it's through repentance that we bear gospel fruit, according to Luke 3.8. And it's through repentance that we do the works of God, according to Acts 26.20 and Revelation 2.5. It's daily. We bear gospel fruit when we repent. When we repent, we're able to come back into right standing with God and do the works of God through repentance the good news. So this message may seem a bit difficult to digest, although I think a lot of the messages in Daniel have been a bit difficult to digest. They've been, they've been some hard truths, but I want you to allow the Spirit to do a work in you today. I, I, I want you, even now, just to say, Spirit of the living God, come and have your way in my heart today. Come and do a work that only you can do. I want you to get to the place today, like JD said, where you're brave enough to repent. Because repentance requires bravery. It really does. All right, number two. Second thing I want to look at is that God confronts us in our sin. God confronts us in our sin. Let's continue to read the story. Daniel 5, starting in verse 5. Now, this is in the middle of this party where they're defiling the vessels of God. It says this, at that moment, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and began writing on the plaster of the king's palace wall next to the lampstand. As the king watched the hand that was writing, his face turned pale and his thoughts so terrified him that he soiled himself and his knees knocked together. The king shouted to bring in the mediums, the Chaldeans and the diviners. He said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this inscription and gives me its interpretation will be clothed in purple, have a gold chain around his neck and have the third highest position in the kingdom. So all the king's wise men came in, but none of them could read the inscription or make its interpretation known to him. Then King Belshazzar became even more terrified. His face turned pale and his nobles were bewildered. See, right in the middle of this party, right in the middle of Belshazzar mocking God, the middle of this sinful, defiling, distasteful party, God confronts Belshazzar. Well, there goes the party. The thousands of them are there partying. God comes in and starts writing on the plaster of the wall. I mean, just, I could imagine just like the air in the room just went, ooh. I mean, for crying out loud, Belshazzar turned pale. His thoughts terrified him. He soiled himself. Sorry for the the graphic language in the Bible, but it says that he soiled himself. He was so terrified that God is now confronting him in his sin. See, Belshazzar was probably numb and dull from all the wine and all the partying that was going on. And actually, to be honest with you, all the sex that was going on. This was a horrific party. He was probably numb and dull from it, but that's right where God confronted him. And the reality is this, the same is true for us, is that sin can make us numb and dull. It could just numb us to the power of God, to his spirit. It can make us dull to his truth. But that's right where God confronts us, when we're numb and dull in sin. When God confronted Belshazzar, he immediately came to his senses. (laughs) He probably sobered up pretty quickly, don't you think? All the wine probably just left his body. He was terrified. He had a reality check. Belshazzar at this point, at this moment in the story, understands the seriousness of God, and he was stopped in his tracks. And what was it? What was it that yanked Belshazzar out and back into reality? It was this. The fingers of a man's hand, which began writing on the palace wall, next to the lampstand. Like, I don't know about you, but God has never written on the wall at my house. He's never took the fingers of a man's hand and written words on the wall. I don't know. Has it happened to you guys? Hasn't happened to me. Happened to Belshazzar, sobered him up real quick. And I'm sure that all of us have heard of the idiom, the writing or the handwriting is on the wall, right? The writing is on the wall. Did you guys know that that idiom comes from Daniel 5? No, thank you, Ryan. Last service, one person said no. I think it was Jim. Ryan, you do know you're lying. (laughs) You didn't know last service, but thank you. The idiom, the writing on the wall comes from Daniel 5. Now you all know. If you didn't know, you could go tell someone today, hey, I learned something today from the preacher with a loud voice. But if you say or hear that the writing is on the wall, it just means that there's clear, there are clear signs that a situation is going to become very difficult or something is going to become very unpleasant in your life. The writing is on the wall. And when God wrote on the wall in the king's palace here, the arrogant, self-confident, sinful, idle worshiping Belshazzar turned pale. Turned pale terrified he knew that at that moment that his exalted position as king of Babylon meant nothing that there was someone greater than him another king that was high and exalted who will not be mocked for defiling what is holy Belshazzar knew that judgment was coming so the question I have for us what about us can we see the writing on the wall when we are living in sin? Can we see the writing on the wall when we know judgment is coming in our life? On Tuesday of this week, my wife and I celebrated our 24th year anniversary. Thank you for that. I'll, I'll be honest with you, you should clap harder because I'll tell you this in 1997, Nobody, <laughs> nobody would have ever guessed that we would have made it to 24 years. Uh, we were a mess. And one of my friends, Jamie, who knew us in high school, she just wrote this on my, my Facebook post about our anniversary. She said, a waitress told us, it was t- a waitress was telling her and her husband, Dave, a waitress told us when we were out celebrating our 25th anniversary that most don't make it as long as we have in marriage. She was so proud of our accomplishment that she gave us a bunch of free stuff. I'm hoping when we go out on our 25th year anniversary, we get a bunch of free stuff. I'm just gonna tell everybody, it's our 25th year anniversary. Can I have some steak? Can I have some ice cream? Whatever, I hope we get free stuff. (laughs) But the sad thing is this, is that what the waitress said is true. Nowadays, most people don't make it to 25 years. And so for my wife and I, it was definitely worthy of a celebration, although she had a Bible study that night, so we haven't celebrated yet, but we will. We will celebrate our 24 years. For those of you who don't know us, let me just share a little bit about our story. Um, My wife and I got married um, when I was 25 and she was 24. We had dated in high school, but went our separate ways, got back together a few years later. And we got married when my wife was pregnant Eight months pregnant with our second kid, her right here, this precious daughter of mine right here. Did you hear me correctly? Our second kid, 24 and 25. Now, obviously we weren't Christians. Uh, We we were not part of a, a church family. We had a family that loved us very much, but we had nobody to turn to. We just figured out, we just figured that we needed to just sort this out ourselves, 24 and 25 with two kids. We'll figure it out. Well, that's baloney. I'll tell you what, one month into your marriage, having two kids at 24 and 25 is a recipe for disaster. It will not work. So don't do it. Now, if that's all you hear today, please take that home with you. The first five years of our marriage was very stressful, as you could probably imagine. So I, at that time, about three years into our marriage, I accepted a job. I used to work in corporate America at Toyota. Any Toyota fans out there? Woo! all right, whoa, all right. All um, right. I accepted a job as a sales auditor and that job required me to travel extensively throughout the 48 states. I didn't get to go to Hawaii and Alaska. I'm like, what's up with Toyota, man? But anyway, I traveled three weeks out of four every month (laughs) with two small children at home and a marriage that was already struggling. How do you think our marriage worked? Not well, it did not work well. And so anyway, three years into our marriage, I take this job because I feel like this is what I have to do to climb the corporate ladder. And so I do that. It goes, to, it, we get into our fourth year of marriage and my wife and I are just fighting, uh, screaming at each other. I am totally absent when I get home, not physically, but mentally checked out. I, I would come home on a Friday. I would. My wife and I started drinking heavily. I would drink, we would drink. Uh, Saturday, wake up hungover. Sunday, go out and play golf. Monday, fly out again. There were times on the weekends where I didn't even come home. Maybe Alan's right about golf. (sighs) No, he's not. Don't listen to that guy. At that time, four years into our marriage, everyone we knew was 100% convinced that we were getting a divorce. 100% convinced. Not one person would have guessed we would have made it to 24 years. The fifth year of our marriage in August, 2002, we have this huge fight. Our girls are sleeping in their rooms. Uh, We're yelling and screaming at each other. They come out crying, dad, mom, stop, please stop. We get to the point where my wife slugs me in the face, knocks my glasses, cockeyed. I'm like, what the heck? By the grace of God, I, I didn't do anything to her, but she just gave me a shiner in the middle of the night. And so after we allowed the dust to settle, after we calmed down a bit, we sat at that dining room table, me with a shiner, bag of peas on my right eye. We decided for the sake of our kids that it would be best for us to get a divorce. The writing was on the wall. The writing was on the wall for us. A divorce would be best. But God had a different plan. (laughs) But God, he had a different plan for us. He confronted both of us in our sin that night. As we're sitting at the dining room table, we both realized that, that we were wrong in so many ways. He started to turn our dead hearts to life. He started to do something within us. And we realized we got to the point that this world couldn't help us anymore. This world couldn't help us. And so by the grace of God, we sat around the dining room table that night and had a conversation for hours. And we decided this, and it's only by the spirit of God that we could have got to this place. We sat there and said, should we give this church thing a try? Maybe that will work. It is our last ditch effort to save our marriage. So August 2002, we walked through the doors of River Church in Norwalk, California for the first time, and we have never looked back. But God, but God, the rest is history. God so kindly led us to this place of repentance by the power of his spirit. And we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And I stand up here today and I preached to you as a pastor for 16 years. But God, the writing was on the wall. Everybody said we were gonna get a divorce, including my wife and I. But God confronted us in our sin. We repented and put our faith in him. Hallelujah. See, we didn't know it at the time, but the Holy Spirit was doing a work in us. See, I, I'm one of the ones who, who honestly believe that, that dead hearts must come alive first before, they, before you could respond to the gospel. That regeneration precedes faith. And talk to me afterwards, I'll explain that more to you. But, uh, but, but, but a dead heart can't respond to the gospel. It has to be a living heart that responds to the living God. And that's what God began to do in us. He began to turn our hearts to life. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's terrifying for me to think that if we didn't repent and put our faith in Jesus, that my two boys wouldn't be here today because they were born after we got saved. And I can't even imagine my life without my two boys. But God, by the power of his spirit, led us by his kindness to this place of repentance. The writing was on the wall by the power of the Holy Spirit. So how does God confront us in our sin? That's our story. You may not have stories as dramatic as that. You may not have stories as dramatic as Belshazzar, but I wanna say this. This is how God confronts confronts us in our sin. It's by the work of the Holy Spirit, and this is what he does. It may not be physically writing on the wall, but God writes on the walls of our hearts. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he will write on the wall of your heart and he will confront you in your sin. See, be, be sensitive to the Spirit. Allow him to do a work that only he can do. Allow him to write on the tablets of your heart. The Holy Spirit has come into this world to turn dead things to life. That's why I hold the Holy Spirit is here. To turn dead hearts of stone into living hearts of flesh, Ezekiel 36. God has come to turn dead bones to life, Ezekiel 37, which we've been praying through as a church. The Holy Spirit has come to convict the world of sin. John 16, seven through eight says this. Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I, this is Jesus speaking, go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor, which is with a capital C, is, which is speaking of the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He brings dead things to life. He convicts the world of sin. He convicts you and I of sin. He writes on the walls of our hearts. And then finally, the Holy Spirit illuminates and reveals the truth to us. The Holy Spirit that dwells within us as, as believers, as sons and daughters of God, he illuminates the Word of God to us. The Holy Spirit, when we open up the Word of God and read it, it becomes living and active to us. The word of God comes to life to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. He makes the truth of God known to us. He makes the things that seem foolish to this world known to us. See, this stuff right here is foolishness to the world, but the Spirit illuminates and brings it to life to us. And in this story, what I love is that the hand of God writes the words of God behind a lampstand. And why does you write it behind a lampstand? This is what I think is because God illuminated his word. The lampstand illuminated the word of God. The words of God had been illuminated, but Belshazzar, the mediums, the Chaldeans, the diviners, they couldn't understand it. It made absolutely no sense to them. And it terrified them because it was foolishness to them. They couldn't make it out because they couldn't read or interpret it. So what do they do? The queen does this, and I'm not gonna read this portion of scripture for the sake of time, but the queen is Belshazzar's mother. That's what commentators say. So I'm gonna call her the queen mother. The queen mother says this. She suggests that... Belshazzar calls in this 80-year-old man named Daniel. This man that Belshazzar doesn't even know, this man Daniel who has been living in isolation for 30 years, the queen says, oh, I know a guy, I know a guy, this guy Daniel. He came in and he interpreted dreams for Nebuchadnezzar. And this is what it says in verses 11 and 12. It says, there is a man in your kingdom who has a spirit of the holy gods. It's the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that I just talked about that does those things for us was the spirit that was within Daniel. He was found to have an extraordinary spirit, knowledge and intelligence, and the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems. Therefore, summon Daniel. Therefore, King Belshazzar, get Daniel so he could come in and interpret what's on the wall. So Daniel living in isolation for 30 years, who is full of the spirit, is brought in to interpret the writing on the wall. Daniel is now back in the story. He's been exalted to this place now three times with Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. But I wanna say this. I just want to pause for a minute. And I just wanna encourage all of you who are, are getting a little bit older in age. Daniel was living in isolation for 30 years. Nobody, the king didn't even know who he was. But I'll tell you this, is he was full of the spirit. And when God called on him, he was ready. And so for those of you who are getting a little bit older in age, and and maybe you're thinking, oh, God's done with me. No, he is not done with you. He is not done with you continue to seek him, continue to turn your face to him, continue to allow the spirit of God to fill you because he will call on you again. He will call on you again. And when he does be ready, I'm even talking to myself. I think I'm getting older in age, but I just want a fresh and filling of the spirit so I can be ready for the next thing he calls me to. I just want to pray quickly for those of you who are are a little bit older and maybe feel like you've been sidelined. Lord Jesus, I just, I just pray now. I pray that you come by the power of your spirit and you, you fill these, these veterans, these seasoned saints with your spirit. I pray that you fill them afresh by the power of your spirit. I pray, Lord God, even though they may feel like they're sitting on the sidelines now, I pray, Lord Jesus, that when you call them, that they come ready, that they come running like Daniel. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you use them by the power of your spirit to help people who are younger in the faith or to help people who are struggling in areas that maybe they have found victory in, Lord God. I pray that you empower them by the spirit and use them in a mighty and profound way to open up the word of God to us, to make it come alive to us, to encourage us by the word of God. So spirit, use them. When you call on them, let them be ready. Fill them afresh in Jesus' name, amen. Sorry for that, guys. Just felt prompted by the spirit. Number three, God deals with our sin. God deals with our sin. What we see here in this great book of Daniel as we see in chapters two, three, and four, they all end with King Nebuchadnezzar basically confessing. He he, he comes to some point of confession or repentance. And because of that, God restores him. God helps him, he comes to his senses and and he ends up praising and exalting God, the king of heavens. But we don't see that here at the end of chapter five. And I'm gonna read the end of chapter five now and we'll see how the the difference between chapters two, three, and four and King Nebuchadnezzar is different than the end of chapter five with King Belshazzar. So let's jump to uh, chapter five, still verse 23. And I'm just gonna read it till the end and make a few comments and we'll call it a day. Sound good? All right, verse 23 says this, in chapter five, "'Instead, you have exalted yourself.'" This is now Daniel speaking to King Belshazzar. "'Against the Lord of the heavens, "'the vessels from his house were brought to you, "'and as you and your nobles, wives, and concubines "'drank wine from them, you praised the gods "'made of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, "'which do not see or hear or understand.'" "'Inanimate objects.'" But you have not glorified the God who holds your life breath in his hand and who controls the whole course of your life. Therefore, he sent the hand and this writing was inscribed. This is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. This is the interpretation of the message. Mene means that God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel means that you have been weighed on the balance and found deficient. Perez means that your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave an order, then Belshazzar gave an order and they clothed Daniel in purple, placed a gold chain around his neck and issued a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And now here's the saddest part of the story. That very night, the very night he was partying, the very night that God confronted Belshazzar in his sin, that very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom at the age of 62. See, the end of chapter two, chapter three, and chapter four, like I said, Nebuchadnezzar came to some point of confession. And what we see here is that King Belshazzar never confesses. He never repents of the sin and the mockery of God that he was making. And I think God allowed him, he, he, he extended the time for him to repent, but, but he never repents. It just says that he was killed. He was killed. And I don't know if he would have repented if God would have shown him mercy, but God shows us mercy. God shows us mercy when we repent. I think oftentimes some of us think that there are two different gods in the Bible, right? That we see this God in the Old Testament who is just a God of justice and judgment. And then we see this other God in the New Testament who is a God of grace and mercy and love. But I wanna tell you that is not true. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible says that about Jesus, who is God. But God's character and nature never changes. He is both just and merciful. He's both of those things. We we see God's mercy displayed to King Nebuchadnezzar, like I said, in chapters two, three, and four. This is the God of the Old Testament extending his grace and mercy to King Nebuchadnezzar. And one of my favorite passages of scripture is in Exodus 34. And this is what God says about himself in Exodus 34, which is part of the Old Testament. He says this about himself, as he described himself to Moses on Mount Sinai, that I'm compassionate and gracious. I'm slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. I'm uh, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. That's how God describes himself in the Old Testament. And that is the same God that we serve today. Slow to anger and abounding in love. That is our God. God's justice and mercy is displayed all throughout Scripture. And we see that in Acts 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. We we look at the Old Testament and say, God is only a just God and a God of judgment in the Old Testament, but he's a God of justice and judgment in the New Testament as well. You guys familiar with the story of Ananias and Sapphira? He's a God of justice, his character never changes. Yes, the wrath of God was poured out on Belshazzar for not repenting of his sins and for mocking God. But here's the bad news again. According to Romans 3.23, we're all like Belshazzar. Romans 3.23 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Say all. Don't you love when preachers do that? I hate when preachers do that. I don't know why I just did that. (laughs) for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because we've all sinned, we all deserve the wrath of God, just like Belshazzar. Because we have all sinned, we deserve that same wrath. We deserve death from a perfect, just, and holy God. God cannot stand in the presence of sin. He cannot, but we see the ultimate display of God's mercy and love extended to us through the cross at Calvary. We see his ultimate grace, his ultimate mercy, his ultimate love extended to us. His justice and his wrath were fully satisfied in the death of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. His wrath was satisfied in him and friends, I know that's hard to hear. That's hard to accept. That's hard to wrap your mind around. But I want to say this is that Jesus willingly came to this earth and he willingly went to the cross as Philippians 2 says that he humbled himself like a servant and that he went to the cross. He obeyed his father and he went to the cross for the sake of our sins. So even though that may be hard to wrap your mind around, I wanna say to you that he willingly did it for you and I. All have sinned. Say all again. I'm having too much fun with this. He also went to the cross for all of us. He went to the cross for all of us. Same judgment that was poured out on Belshazzar is the same judgment that we deserve but Jesus took it on himself on our behalf. The judgment of God for the sins of the world were poured out on him. God dealt with Belshazzar's sin, but God has already dealt with our sins. He dealt with our sins, all of our sins, past, present, and future, in the ultimate act of love through Jesus Christ, like I said, who willingly went to the cross to forgive us of our sins. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of it. And if we repent, listen to me, friends. And if we repent through the power of the Holy Spirit, and maybe for some of you, you're sitting here today and you've never repented for the first time and put your faith in Jesus, I wanna tell you that the Spirit's at work. He's turning your dead heart to life right now so you can respond to this gospel message saying, yes, this is me this is me. I've never repented of my sins, but through God's loving kindness, he is leading me to repentance today so I can repent and believe in this Jesus that Kevin is talking about. The only one that can save you from your sins. The only one that can free you from the bondage of sin. Allow the spirit to do a work. But maybe some of you have, have, have stepped away from God. Maybe some of you have walked away from God and the spirit is doing a work in you now. And he's bringing you back to turn your back on sin, repent and turn your face towards God again. No more will you walk away from him, walk towards him today. Allow the spirit of God to do a work in you, a work that only he can do. Our sins have been dealt with, my friends. My friends. All you need to do is repent, repent and believe, have faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe for some of you today, the writing on the wall in regard to your sin is obvious. Maybe, you know, as I talked about some of those sins with internet and Netflix and the 57 freeway driver and all those different things, maybe God through his spirit highlighted something to you today and the writing on the wall of your hearts is really obvious. And maybe you're just squirming in your seat a bit saying, you know what? I know I need to repent of that sin. But maybe for some of you, it's a bit more subtle. Maybe you're just saying, ah, oh, man, I know, uh, I'm, just, I'm just not feeling right. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm kind of living like, and I don't feel God's presence. I kind of, I just feel like, ah. Oh. Allow the spirit of God to do a work in you today. Allow the spirit of God to do a work in you today. And I want to ask this, either way, whether it's obvious or whether it's subtle, I want you to know that it's by God's loving kindness through the work of the Holy Spirit that can lead you to repentance and right standing with him again. But today it's going to require bravery. And I want you to be brave to repent when the writing is on the wall. See, it requires bravery because we need to be brave to admit that we're wrong. It takes bravery to admit that you're wrong. You need to be brave to stop by the power of the Holy Spirit. Stop doing what you're in the habit of doing right now. And then you also need to be brave to ask for help. (laughs) Most people are terrified to ask for help. But by the power of the Spirit today, be brave. Allow the kindness of God to lead you to repentance and ask God for help, for freedom from the sin that you've been in bondage to. Repentance is a gift, my friends. Repentance is a gift. Repent today and be free in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I just wanna start by praying, by thanking you that You willingly went to the cross at Calvary some 2000 years ago. You humbled yourself in obedience as a servant and went to the cross. And because of that, Lord Jesus, we can stand free today. By the power of your spirit, we can repent as you turn dead things to life and we put our faith and we put our hope in you. Lord, you can free us from this bondage of sin. And so Lord, I pray today, that by the power of the Spirit, that for many of us who, who, who feel like maybe the sin I'm living in is subtle, or maybe for some of us, it's super obvious. I pray, Lord Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, that you give us the bravery today to repent. I wanna thank you, Lord Jesus, that it's through your kindness that leads us to repentance. And oh, you're such a kind and loving God. And I wanna thank you, Lord, that, that you, even in your judgment, you are kind to us. You are kind to us. And even today, we can turn our back on sin and turn our face to you afresh. And so I pray for that today, Lord God, that people would turn their back on sin, repent, Lord Jesus, and turn their face to you. In Jesus' name, amen.